Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to the broadcast today. You know something? We are here helping you understand how to have the best life possible. You know, I remember as a, as a new believer, I remember seeing these promises of God. And, uh, you know, I would talk to people about the promises, you know, Christians. And, and the amazing thing was most of the Christians that I talked to, they, they, they kind of looked at the promises as, well, that's what happens for exceptional people. That's, that, that's the exception to the rule. And uh, Jerry Falwell, which was a Baptist preacher at Liberty University, this was way back in the early 70s, he sent out a book by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. Now, let me just say this. Let me just give you a disclaimer. Most of the books that have Watchman Nee's name on them, he didn't actually write. Uh, it's kind of a cult following came around him later, and they brought his teachings together. And I would, I, I would not recommend, you know, just reading all of his books. They just, uh, they really complicate our ability to understand the simple. But this particular book, The Normal Christian Life, was he, I think was the only book he ever wrote. And so I read this book very early in my, in my journey with the Lord. And uh, it was just so interesting because, he, you know, basically what he pointed out was the life that we settle for is not the normal Christian life. It is the subpar, the subnormal, the lower than normal Christian life. And so because we have accepted this concept that the normal Christian life is just barely getting by, the promises are not for everybody, you know, God's not good to everybody, then what happens is anybody that, anything good that happens where you're believing God for the promises, then instead of everybody saying, oh, that's how it should be, everybody says, oh, that's the exception. Well, no, it may be the exception in what believers experience, but it is not the exception in what God is offering and what God is willing to do. And so I, I, was already, I already had a certain mindset as I was reading the Bible about, uh, about the promises of God. And here was the way that I approached the promises of God. You, know, you can decide if this works for you. It may not work for you. You may not, you know, this, this may be too much for you. But, <clears throat> but, um, uh, my take on this was this. If Jesus died to deliver me from this problem and provide me with this promise, then the real truth is if he is my Lord, I'm obligated to solve that problem and obtain, receive this promise. So, <clears throat> you know, my journey in dealing with health issues I didn't feel like I had the right to be sick. Now, I didn't condemn myself, and I don't want you to condemn yourself. Don't ever condemn yourself or beat yourself up. That doesn't help anything. But my position was I can't be passive about this stuff. I can't accept something that, uh, that Jesus went to all this trouble to die for and to conquer through his death, burial, and resurrection. So, so 
that's, that was my approach to the promises of God. So then I read this book, The Normal Christian Life, and it's like, and, and I'll never forget in there where he tells this story, and I think it was for him a personal healing, where, you know, he was accepting the norm and everybody said, you know, this, you know, this is just the norm. This is just what happens. This is just what you go through. And at some point he said, wait a minute, this is not the norm. The norm is what God says the norm is. And he says, I just have no right being sick. And he just said, all right. And, and he uh, uh, laid hold to it, got up and went about his business. Now, I'm telling you, that may seem incredibly extreme to you, but here's the deal. Once we establish a standard, a normalcy in our, in, in our life, then our heart beliefs change. You know, the Bible tells us something very interesting about life and about the quality of life. Now, remember, Jesus said himself, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And that Greek word for life is zoe, and it's a quality of life possessed by the one who is giving it or the one who is offering it. So you're saying, I am offering to you the exact same quality of life that I have. And, you know, Jesus wasn't sick. All of Jesus' needs were met. Jesus, you know, worked miracles, all of that. John 14, 12, he that believes on me, the works I do shall he do also and greater than these. So, so Jesus came and showed us what the normal Christian life should look like. You know, one translation uh, uh, of John 10, 10 says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Oh man, I'm telling you, I, I, I just, it amazes me that we read scriptures like that and then believe that God is tormenting us and God's trying to hurt us and God's doing bad things to us. You know, all of this kind of stuff. So, so I'm talking to you about what Jesus himself said that he came to do in our lives. And um, actually, I've just released uh, my latest book. And uh, this, this book is called 10 Words That Will Change Everything You Know About God. And my, maybe it should be what you think you know about God. Because here's the deal. We all have beliefs that are based on uh, really the interpretation of words, if you want to know the truth. And what you're going to discover is words, once they become a, once they become a part of your belief system, once their de definitions become the normal to you, then your heart, your heart beliefs are affected. Now, remember in the book of Proverbs, it tells us, in Proverbs chapter four, it says, it says uh, uh, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flows all of the issues of life. Now, one translation will say, uh, guard your heart diligently. One translation says, guard your heart vig vigilantly. Uh, one translation says, uh, uh, keep or guard your heart above all else. Well, why? Because all of the issues of your life flow out of your heart. And that word issues is, I mean, it's, it's a good word. It's not a wrong interpretation, but that word means way more than just issues. Because you see, the issues of your life are based on the boundaries of how you see God. And so really that word issues could have just as well been translated as boundaries. And so he's saying, whatever you believe in your heart establishes the boundaries. You know, uh, the first book that I released was called Taking the Limits Off God. And um, 
I'll never forget, you know, the first time I was reading through the book of Psalms and I, and, and, and I came up on, on the place where the psalmist is saying that the children of Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. And, and, it's, and basically the reason, he said, because they weren't, their hearts weren't established in the covenant. And, you know, it blew my mind because, you know, religious teaching would tell you, you can't limit God. God's going to do what he wants to do. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, God is doing what he wants to do. And God's keeping his word because God created us in his likeness and image. And, and he cannot violate our will. He will not violate our will. He cannot violate our will because he's honest. He's not a liar. And so the real truth is our decisions determine the scope of God working in our life, how big we're gonna let God be in our life. And the children of Israel limited God in their life because they weren't steadfast in his covenant. Their heart was not established in what God was offering them and what God was promising them. Now, now we can expand the limits. We can expand the boundaries and basically say, okay, like this, you know, the psalmist also said, magnify the Lord with me. Well, if you're going to magnify God, what's going to happen is, you know, you don't actually make God any bigger. You know, a magnifying glass, you know, when you look at something through a magnifying glass, it doesn't actually make the object bigger. It makes how you see the object bigger. And so magnifying the Lord is not making God bigger, but you are seeing God is bigger. You're seeing a bigger picture of God. You're seeing a, a, a greater concept of who, of who God is. Well, when we see God bigger, guess what? Guess what changes? The boundaries the boundaries of our hearts start changing to match how we see God. And I'll tell you, here's the amazing thing. As the boundaries of our heart change to match how we see God, because the heart is the seat of our self-perception, then our boundaries start changing and how we see ourselves. And suddenly, you know what, I can, I, I, suddenly I can believe for an abundant life. Suddenly I can believe for life to be better than what I've lived so far. I can believe to be happier. I can believe to be more satisfied. I can believe to be more prosperous. I can believe to have more joy in my life. I can believe to have more mercy and more kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, all of that gets manifest in bigger and bigger ways because I see God bigger. Therefore, I see myself bigger. Therefore, how I express myself just effortlessly gets bigger. And I'm going to tell you something. That's one of the things that I love so much is when you change a belief of your heart, then uh, fruit grows because it's seed planted in your heart. So it's effortless. You're not trying. You're not trying to make things happen anymore. You're not trying to, to be positive. You're not trying to be encouraged. You're not trying to do these things. It's just happening because that's the way that you, that you uh, see yourself. You know, today, in this journey, we're going to take on, on 10 words that change everything you know about God or change everything you believe about God. I want to talk about what the Bible calls a veil over your heart. And um, I don't know that we'll get it all in today, but you know what? That's all right, man. I, I'm, I'm going to give you some tools to help you make this journey. There, there are two unique situations where people came to Jesus and asked the same question. And the question was really interesting. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, one of these occasions prompted Jesus to share the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I, I, I love that parable. And uh, of course, it's, it has been preached, you know, millions of times throughout the centuries. 
And there are all kinds of life lessons that come out of this parable. But the truth is there are three factors, three key factors in this parable that are really seldom ever discussed or seldom ever really focused in on. The first one is, what was the question that caused Jesus to launch into the story about the Samaritan? And it's really important that you, that you link the story back to the question. Number two, why did the man ask the question? Now, we don't have to pass a judgment about that. We don't have to guess at why he asked the question because the Bible tells us why he asked the question. Now, if you don't know why the man asked this question, you're going to miss the most important part of this parable because the most important part of this parable is not the fact that a Samaritan helped a Jew. Now, Jews hate Samaritans. They, they interbred, and uh, uh, so Jews hated them. Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so, yeah, you know, the Samaritan, you know, this, this would be like a black man helping and saving the life of a Klansman. And that, that's kind of the picture that was being painted. Well, you know what, man, that's a life lesson right there. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's pretty phenomenal. But just knowing that doesn't really get down to the heart of what Jesus was addressing. So second question that we have to answer is why did the man ask the question? And then number three, which is what we should ask every time we read anything in the Bible is, well, what can I learn from these two previous questions? And, <clears throat> you know, that, that's the way we should always be reading the Bible. We should always we should always read the Bible from a perspective that says, since this is true, what manner of person should I be? Since this is true, how will I apply this to my life? Since this is true, will I pay attention to it? Will I ignore it? Will I just blow it off? You know, one of the, one of the Greek words for sin means to hear or miss. Now remember sin. Don't think about sin the way you always, the way religion teaches you to think about sin. Sin is not just what you do wrong. Sin is rooted in belief and your perception of God. And sin is when you, when you actually don't see God as He is, therefore you see yourself as less than God says you are. And if you perceive God as less than He is, you will always perceive yourself as less than you really are. And when you see yourself as less than you really are, then you can't trust God and His promises to give you the abundant life. So that drives you then to look for sources apart from God to try to meet the needs in your life. And so, so it takes you away from God. So basically, sin just gets down to unbelief about who God is, about who God says He is. Now, let's jump into this and let's, let's read the Scripture. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, and tested him. That's the first thing we have to realize. This guy was not looking for an answer. He was testing Jesus. And here's what he said. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is over in Luke 10, 25. Now Jesus said something back to him uh, that we should all do when asked a question, especially a spiritual question. We should be sure and understand the question. You know, I, I was doing a meeting in, a, in South Africa one time, 
And uh, they, had, they had brought in pastors from African nations. I don't know how many different African nations, but man, there was a, there was a delegation of, of maybe a hundred or a couple of hundred African pastors there. And, uh, and these guys just warmed up to me. Uh, uh, and, and a group of them wanted to meet with me after, a, after one of the sessions. And uh, so they, I don't remember what they asked me first. I said, but you know, I said, I'm not going to answer that question. I said, because I don't, I don't really know what your needs are. And I said, it's be kind of foolish for me to start answering questions uh, or start telling you about something if, if it's not important to you. So I said, you, tell me what's important to you and, and I'll see if I can answer those questions. And so we had a question and answer thing. And so when it was over with, they paid me probably, I think, the two greatest compliments I've ever had in ministry. The first thing they said is, you are the first American that ever answered questions for us and, and wanted to know what was important to us. Usually when Americans come or when any preachers come, they just come and they want to preach about what's important to them. And, uh, and, but, and then here's the next thing that they said. They said, they said, most preachers answer the questions that no one is answering and we're so thankful that you answered the questions we were asking. You know what? Man, that is a problem with Christians. You know, with Christians that are sincere, good Christians that are try wanting to minister to people, they never really locate that person. They never really find out what the real need is and very seldom ever ask questions. You know something, uh, uh, Somebody that really influenced my life used to say this to you know, me. My, my uncle, you've heard me talk about my uncle, and my uncle was the only positive male influence in my life as a child. And uh, man, my uncle, I mean, he, you know, he never, he was sort of like Jesus. He never told me he loved me, but I always knew he loved me. You know how I knew he loved me? Because he, he believed in me. He showed interest in me. He, he helped me, you know, build, build my life. He didn't need to tell me he loved me. I knew he loved me, and I loved him. And uh, uh, so, and by the way, that was back in the 50s where men didn't do that very much. They very seldom ever told other, you know, their sons or whatever that they loved them. Uh, so anyhow, you know, with my, with my uncle, there were several things that were really interesting. They had such a phenomenal impact on my life. One of the things I could never say to my uncle was, I can't. If I, you know, if he asked me to do something, I said, I, said, I can't. He would say, no, you don't know if you can or not. Number one, he said, you haven't tried. But number two is, you can do anything that you learn how to do. And so he was the first person to make me realize that in every situation, I need to look for options. There's always options. You know, I still to this day in coaching and ministering to people and doing personal counseling and personal coaching with people, it amazes me how people... Uh, pro approach life and problems in a one-dimensional way. It's like, it's like you either can or you can't. You're either off or you're on. And, you know, the real truth is nearly nothing in God is off or on. You know, uh, uh, here's one of the things I realized from what, I, 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 that morphed from what my uncle taught me. Here's this. The dumbest guy in the room is the one who believes there's only one option or one solution. Uh, 
Man, if you think there's only one option or one solution, you're going to hem yourself in with God. You're going to hem yourself in with your faith. And the problem is going to be you're never going to follow God because you're going to make up your mind what that option is. You're going to make up your mind what that solution is. And then you're going to try to force God by what you're going to call faith. You're going to try to force him to solve the problem the way you think it should be solved. And, and you know what? The smartest guy in the room is the guy that know, and the guy that's going to be at peace is the guy that knows. Uh, you know, there might be a hundred ways uh, to approach this. There might be a hundred ways to look at this. There might be a hundred options in this situation. And the, the question is not ever, how are we going to make this happen? The question is, what do I want to make happen? What can I make happen? What's the best option in this situation? And so, so you know, I learned that from my uncle. And I'll tell you, my, again, uh, Anything of value in my life, almost about being a man, I learned from my uncle. But uh, another thing he would just never allow me to do, if he, you know, when your kids, I don't know if you did this when your kids, but you know, the common thing when your kids, if somebody says something to you, you're like, I know it, I know it, man, I tell you, he'd wash my mouth out with soap literally sometimes for saying that. And he was like, don't say you know, because until you hear what they've got to say, you don't know. And, you know, I can't remember if it was him or later in life that basically said, "What you, you know what you know, but you don't know what the other person knows. And if you don't listen, you'll never know what they know. You know, that kind of that became the foundation of our ministry. The foundation of our ministry was, I don't need to be the guy out there doing it all. I don't need to be the guy preaching to millions. You know, I work behind the scenes with successful big name ministers all over America and they're out taking his father than I'll ever take it because because you know the thing God has showed me is if I'll take whatever I learn from him and share it with these other people they'll know what I know but they'll also know what they know which means they'll know more than I know which means they can go farther than I can go they can touch people I'll never touch I'm, I'm all right with that I'm good with that but uh, but my uncle's like you never assume that you know, listen to people. And so in ministry, one of the things that made me really effective in counseling, one of the things that made me really effective when I used to do street ministry, you know, for the first three, three and a half years I was in ministry, I had no interest in preaching in churches. I was out on the streets winning people to Jesus. And this was back in the Jesus people movement. And so it wasn't like standing on a street corner and hollering and screaming. It was just like going out and creating events out in parks and places where you could draw crowds together and, and, and begin to share with, you know, with them about Jesus, lead people to the Lord. It was really a phenomenal time to be alive and to be a young, a young preacher. But we, we, as Christians, we are so ready to give people the answers that we are sure that they need that we very seldom listen to their questions. And many times... We're giving, we're answering questions that they didn't ask and they're really not interested in. But, you know, but we're interested in it. So you want to understand something. When you're talking to somebody, and this is, this is so important, and this is especially important in a spiritual question. You say, we need to be sure that we actually understand the question. Now, words are the basis of nearly all communication. Now, I understand that in a communication situation, it's like between, between 85 and 90 something percent of all communication is nonverbal. I, I understand that. 
But when it comes to understanding the Word of God or understanding anything that's written, then, then we're dealing with words. Now, even that which is communicated by images and pictures will eventually be defined or explained in words. Now, it's incredibly naive to think that we both speak the la you know, uh, we both mean the same thing when we use a particular word. So, uh, you know, th this guy comes to Jesus and man, he's, he's, wanting to, he's, he's wanting to find out about eternal life. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to go into a whole, a whole lot of it today because really uh, we just don't, we're not going to have enough time. But trust me, you want to be here for, for the second part of this uh, next week because once you realize when I'm having a conversation with somebody or when I'm reading the Bible, I need to make sure that I actually understand the meanings of the words spoke, that, that are spoken or the words that I'm reading. Now, when I got born again, man, you know, I just, I just look back at, and, and you might not have had this experience, I'm sorry, but I just look back at, at how fortunate I was. You know, my very first pastor when I went to church, he, uh, he was an old guy, he had retired, and he was an interim pastor, and he, he called me into his office uh, and said, let me see your Bible, son. And, and I, the only Bible I had was one that I'd stolen. It was a, it was a Gideon's Bible that was stolen out of, a, out of a hotel room somewhere. And he said, you need to get you a good Bible because you need to understand what you're reading. And back then, about the best Bible that you get was a Schofield. So I got me a Schofield Bible that had, that had uh, uh, all kinds of footnotes and told you, you know, why these particular letters were being written and this sort of thing. And then the next thing that, that I was taught was this. Never look up a word in the Bible in the English. Don't use a dictionary because the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. And he showed me a little concordance that, and I bought it. You know, I bought a concordance and every word I didn't understand, I looked up in a concordance. Well, here's the thing that I found. I found that most people or many people, let me say that way, actually have never really found out what key biblical words mean. Now, one of the things we're going to do in this series is this. I'm going to show you the top five words that cause you to have a negative, bad image of God that limits your faith, limits God in your life, and the sad thing is, most of those five words were deliberately mistranslated in the Bible in order for other people to be able to define the Bible for you, other people to control your life, and to make you think that they had control of your relationship with God. And I'm, then I'm going to show you the five positive words that we have dummied down and that have been so limited that when you see these words as they are, it's going to change everything you believe about how good God is and how much God loves you. That's why my new book and the series that goes along with this is called 10 Words That Will Change Everything You Believe About God or Everything You Know About God. Now listen, we're just about out of time here. Hang in here with me on this. This is not just going to help you in your Bible reading, your Bible study. This is going to help you in every aspect of communicating with anybody because, because it's going to be all about listening, paying attention, and, and defining words properly, finding out what people mean. But doing so, and we're going to show you 
words that have been misdefined to redirect and limit your faith. And I know, it, I know it's hard to believe, but surely, listen, if you're enjoying this broadcast, be sure and comment. Tell me what you're getting out of it, because the more you comment, the more other people will see it and get benefit and come and get help. Also, be sure and like, be sure and like this page. If you're watching on Facebook, like this page. And um, uh, you can share anything that, that's on here. And one of the things you can do is you can subscribe to my, uh, uh, to my site and uh, my YouTube site. And I'm telling you, every week you're going to get something that's going to contribute to the quality of life that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So be sure and be here with me next week. We're going to pick up right here where we left off. And man, I'm telling you, you're going to be so glad that you're here. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.